1: Like Anytime we can see ourselves in a story, anytime we recognize ourselves in an example, that's when we can really start to understand our own capacity, right our own
0: ability. Appalachia Meets World, a podcast about place and perspective, but always Appalachia. And don't forget, Will, tonight's episode is powered by SOAR shaping our Appalachian region. If you're an entrepreneur out there, especially in eastern Kentucky, check them out. Appalachian Meets World, back another week. It's Will without Neil. He'll be back soon. Got a really good episode today, so we're going to make this intro really quick and get right into the episode with Miss Amanda Joe Sloan to talk about the Appalachian way and Appalachian identity in regards to leadership. But first, I wanted to mention a few app news items. The Appalachian Regional Commission, the ARC, just released its notice for submission of applications for the POWER grant. So power funding is now available for projects supporting coal-impacted communities throughout Appalachia. I know we mentioned that every time funding comes available, it's a pretty powerful program in the region. So get your applications in. They're due April 17th at 5 p.m. Eastern. If you have a project in one of those communities, definitely check it out. We'll post it in the show notes. It's been pretty impactful over the last several years, the amount of power funding and power grants they've given out. So definitely check it out. Also, we mentioned last week, but we'll mention again, Opportunity Appalachia has just released its next round of funding that can provide technical assistance to public and private projects throughout the five states that they cover, which is Kentucky, North Carolina, Ohio, Tennessee, Virginia, and West Virginia. They recently had their program launch, but I also wanted to mention that they're having state outreach meetings over the next couple of months. You can register to be a part of that. A lot of them are virtual. So if you have a project out there that needs a little bit of technical assistance, this is money that can go directly towards that. I think up to $75,000. So check that out as the outreach meetings are coming up, but the application deadline is not until April 12th. One last bit of app news. Told you we'd make it quick, so this is the last one. The Nature Conservancy received $250,000 investment in freshwater connectivity from the Richard King Mellon Foundation. This is significant because this goes to restorative river health and connectivity across the Appalachians. It will restore critical waterways throughout Pennsylvania, West Virginia, and Virginia. The Nature Conservancy, or TNC, has to go to protect and connect 5,200 miles of waterways throughout the Appalachian region by 2030. And this grant makes them one step closer. We talk about how biodiverse Appalachia is, and this grant will help support more biodiversity and more resilient communities in regards to people and wildlife. We'll post the article in the show notes on the Nature Conservancy website. You can check it out yourself. Like I said, we're just going to make this short because we got really interesting episode tonight. As I mentioned before, Dr. Amanda Jo Sloan has a new passion project, the Appalachian Way, the role of Appalachian identity in effective leadership. So without further ado, we're just going to get right into it with Dr. Amanda Jo Sloan. Have you ever been down Kentucky way, say south of Prestonburg? Have you ever been up in Holler? Have you ever, yeah? On the episode today, we have a special guest, Miss Amanda Joe Sloan. She is a self-described creative writer. Also is the assistant provost at the University of Pikeville and has over almost two decades of experience as a professor of Appalachian literature and creative writing, she has a master's in English an MFA in creative writing and a Ph.D. in higher education and leadership. And I also wanted to point out she is a fellow Kentucky colonel, but really while we wanted to have her on a show. She has a new passion project. It's called The Appalachian Way, The Role of Appalachian Identity in Effective Leadership. And we want to dive into that and talk to her about that. But first, Amanda Jo, thank you for being on the show. We greatly appreciate you taking the time.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here.
0: Serious question up front. Nil and I, our families, like most Appalachians, big on history, big on tradition Um, One of the traditions we have, we have appetizers at the holidays. We have this gigantic spread of appetizers, bigger than the actual meal. So we wanted to ask you, do you have a favorite appetizer or just holiday dish?
1: Oh, gosh, don't judge me because
0: (laughs) um, it's not
1: healthy. So if we're going to we're going to talk about food, it's not going to be healthy. But my kids and I love to make bacon wrapped mushrooms um, and that's our favorite appetizer. So we'll always have those out before Thanksgiving dinner. And, you know, we just munch on those all day long. And we have also made bacon wrapped carrots. So those are healthier, I guess. <laughs> yeah. we, we can claim a little health there.
0: <laughs> <laughs> like uh, do little olive oil on the mushrooms or, uh,
1: mm-hmm. yeah. And we just, yeah. we nice. bake those and they're just, they're delicious.
0: Nice, nice. We've, I've actually had those before, but we've never had that answer. So that's a first we've been doing this uh, podcast for a while now, and we talk a lot about doers or people that actually do things. And I think when we talk about doers, it's kind of leading into leadership and leaders. Personally, how do you define leadership or leaders?
1: I think that, you know, leadership, one of the most important aspects of it is that, you know, you're working for a goal with a group. I think leadership is such a, it's such a hard word to define because, you know, I've had this question a lot when I since I've started talking about the project is, am I a leader? I don't consider myself a leader. What does that mean, right? So I've actually talked to a couple of people and they said, well, I didn't know if I should sign up for an interview because I'm really not sure if it counts, what I do counts. And so, you know, I always wanna look at, you know, well, what do you do? And do you do that in service of a goal with a group of people? And if you do, you know, that's really leading and trying to work. And I love the way you say that as doers, you know, you're trying to do the work. You know, leaders are the people who are who are not just doing the work, but are inspiring other people to do the work as well. I think a big part of leadership is developing other people. So I think that people who are doing, but also working with others and inspiring other people and developing other people truly kind of inhabit that idea of leadership.
0: I want to follow up with another question that I'm always curious about when I think about leadership and with your vast experience with leadership, not only uh, studying, but also teaching leadership. Do you feel like are there born leaders or can you teach? Can leadership be learned?
1: You know, that's an interesting question. I do think that maybe some people are born with some traits that lend themselves to leadership, but I do think that leadership can be learned. I think that there are dispositions that are important for leaders. And I think that a lot of times those dispositions, so not skills, right? There's a difference between skill and disposition. Skills can be learned easily. I think a lot of times dispositions have to be discovered. And I think that people often don't recognize or discover them in themselves until they've been in a situation that really highlights those dispositions. So I think those can be developed and discovered. And I think the skills can be can be taught.
0: It's good to hear your perspective. And now that we have kind of set up leadership and what leaders are, you want to talk about the At your project and how it came to be. Maybe actually before we do that, you can talk a little bit about yourself, just where you're from, and um, what drew you to uh, the position you're in now?
1: Sure, so I live in Pike County, Kentucky. Um, I live on a little hauler called Pond Creek. I actually live on the same land that my grandmother lived on before. So family land, I live across the hill from my parents, which is really important to me, very special place. I'm about 35 minutes away from Pikeville from where I work. I'm a mom of three, single mom of three children. I have twins that are 22 years old, and I have a 12-year-old son. So life is never boring. Uh, (laughs) And once upon a time, um, I won't say when, but once upon a time, I was a student at what was then Pikeville College. You know, very transformative experience for me. I was a first-generation college student. I came here to learn and to uh, discover what I wanted to do with my life And what I discovered was myself and people who supported me in community, which was really important. And so I knew that my heart was here. I loved the university. Um, I loved the community. And I started working here right after I graduated. So I actually started working here, answering the phone in the admissions department right after I graduated college. (laughs) I was a single mom of twins then, so my twins were toddlers, and, you know, I really, I'm was working two jobs while I was going to school and, you know, taking full time classes and then suddenly started working here on campus and got to, to work only one job and decided, why not? I'll keep going to school. So I did my master's degree while I was working in the admissions department um, and at one point took a job. I was offered a job as an instructional specialist at a different uh, campus and I took it because, you know, to be honest at the time, you know, whatever was gonna provide better for my kids, I had to had to take. And I, I stayed gone for eight months and then came back to this campus as the assistant dean for admissions. So I did that job for a little while and then I was the associate registrar for a bit, all the while had been working on that master's degree so I could teach. And when a teaching position came open, um, I applied for that and got that. I spent 12 years. As full-time faculty, I was teaching in the the English department, taught composition, taught creative writing, taught Appalachian literature, literary theory, a couple of other different classes. And about three years ago, our administration approached me and asked me to transition into the assistant provost role. And the whole time I was doing, you know, as full-time faculty, I was also finding other positions. I always found myself in different roles. I was the director of first-year experience. worked in our gen ed curriculum revamping, you know, lots of different, I found myself in a lot of administrative positions, even while I was teaching, just drawn to that kind of work as well. And so when they offered me that position, I said, uh, yes, but I need to stay in the classroom. So I have been doing this and teaching for the past three years. And so I only teach, I kept my favorite classes, of course. So I still teach Appalachian literature and creative writing at least one class a semester.
0: Sounds like it's very full circle career from a student to a professor at the same university. And then Um, my
1: children have been students here. So it's definitely very full circle. My (laughs) daughter graduated last spring and my and her twin brother graduates this spring.
0: That's great. That's great. I guess maybe we can just dive right into what you refer to as I guess, a passion project because it's not necessarily affiliated with your current work, but the Appalachian Way, and you describe it as the role of Appalachian identity and effective leadership. You just want to talk about the project, how it came to be and what exactly it is?
1: Sure. So the idea behind the project is that I really just want to examine and explore leadership and leadership development through the lens of Appalachian Identity. So I am very passionate about all of the things that are kind of involved in this project, Appalachia, obviously, and leadership development, but then also stories. I guess when I think about where this, how this came to be or how I thought about the project, um, when I was working on my PhD, my dissertation research was about students and how they perceived their Appalachian identity and how they felt that their identity or their culture um, affected or influenced their traits that lead them to success in college. So not necessarily academic traits, but things like resilience and mindset. And and did they develop some of those through their Appalachian heritage or culture or, or the place where they live? And so it was a combination of thinking about that research and, and being really passionate about trying to figure out what exactly our culture, you know, we know there's no one Appalachian culture, right? And we we know there's a, a lot of different aspects to that, a lot of different ways to be Appalachian, which is kind of where that the title came from, you know, is, is thinking about, you know, what are the ways to be Appalachian, but then also the, the Appalachian way, how we do things, and then also the way forward, the path, the, the Appalachian leader. And so I was thinking about that, but then at the same time, I was also thinking about what's next in my life. So, you know, really thinking about like, what's my next chapter? What's my next role? I'm, you know, very passionate about education, but also very passionate about leadership and some of the experiences that I've gotten to have have really impacted me. And so I, I've been going through a lot of I don't know, deep diving into, you know, what are the things that I care about? What are my, my values and what are my my passions and, and what do I, how do I, how do I bring all of those things together to do that? This sounds silly, but to do that, you know, I was thinking of, you know, what am I drawn to? What am I always doing? What am I always talking about? What am I always reading about? And, you know, I I started really thinking about the fact that I'm always talking about leadership development. I'm always talking about Appalachia. I'm always reading books about uh, effective leadership and, you know, what it means to be a good leader. And then I started really thinking about myself and thinking about where some of the influences have been for me, and you know what has made me a leader, what has made me uh, passionate about some of these things. So as you can as you can tell, I just I spend a lot of time ruminating and reflecting, and and so out of all of those things, kind of combined, came this project. and And I think the idea behind it is I really want to put a spotlight on you know, leaders in Appalachia telling their own stories. So, you know, I want to hear the stories of, of leaders in Appalachia and how they believe their Appalachian identity affects them as leaders. So what are the things about your Appalachian identity that you've translated from that in your life to make yourself an effective leader? And how do we then create a resource for leaders to say, you know, these are the things you can tap into. These are the things you can develop that really start with your culture and start with your identity and turn those into almost a type of place-based or identity-based
0: leadership skills. That's incredible. I, I love that. and I, I was going to ask a question uh, around being place-based. You know, we, we started our podcast to dispel some of the misconceptions that people have about Appalachia, which you are well familiar with, as most Appalachians are. But you know, when you're talking about Appalachian identity, Appalachia, I feel like it may be one of the most place-based regions in the country. I mean, we, we put such significance on place. We put such a significance on home. It's very important to us. It's very important to our culture. You also mentioned this mindset, this grit, in Appalachia, we have a very humble nature, but also very hardworking, which I think identifies with some type of leadership skills or disposition, as you referenced before. But I, I wanted to ask you, when it comes to Appalachian identity that you've referenced several times and kind of is the focus of your project, being very a, a very place-based region and very connected region in that regard, what what do you think sets Appalachia apart when it comes to its identity? Gosh,
1: well, you know, that's, that's a great question, and it's kind of a hard question, because, you know, like we said before, there's really no one Appalachian identity, but I think that, you know, there's so many things about Appalachia, and particularly, you know, thinking about place, but thinking about people and thinking about the connectedness that we share from place and from stories. So when I think about Appalachian and my Appalachian identity, uh, what I think about is that. I think about communities and I think about stories. I think about the stories that have shaped me, the people who um, have worked really hard to create a community that's unlike any that I've seen anywhere. And I've been a lot of places and and really haven't felt that type of, of community. I, I hate to say things like that because then it sounds like I'm I'm really biased and I guess I am, right? So that's okay. But I haven't, I haven't felt that sense of connectedness in a, in a lot of different places. And so I think that what's important is how we perceive our identity. So what does that mean to us? And, you know, you talk about some of the stereotypes that have been so prevalent and really the danger, so many dangers, but one of the The dangers of the stereotype is is how we perceive ourselves then, because we are engaging with those images and those stereotypes. And so we begin to perceive our identity as something that we sometimes should be ashamed of or sometimes should change or should, you know, sometimes even just defend. Right. We feel like we need to defend it and and so I think that one of the goals of this project is, is really to, you know, when I said earlier that dispositions need to be discovered, is I want us to discover the ways that our identity, our Appalachian identities have influenced our leadership in a positive way, right? So when I think about that, I think about resourcefulness. I think about resilience. I think about the, the connectedness of people and story. And I think, yeah, where did I learn all of that? I learned that on my mommy hills porch, you know, I mean, I didn't learn that, you know, through my PhD, I didn't learn that through a degree. This is where it began, right? It began at home, it began with my identity. And I don't want to start to perceive my identity as something negative because of all those images. So if I can help to mind some of this to say, let's think about the ways that our identity have really influenced us in these positive ways, then I feel like that maybe dispels some of those stereotypes and and negative images
0: as well. Great answer. I, I love that. You know, I've, I've lived a lot of places and I, I get that same sense that there's no other region that has quite felt the same as when I've lived in Appalachia. And with your vast experience in Leadership development. I recently went through the Appalachian Leadership Institute with the ARC. They focus a lot on capacity building. There's also the bright uh, leadership uh, with your home state of Kentucky, but also leadership Kentucky. There are a lot of capacity building programs out there. What do you think about or how do you feel about the capacity building programs when it comes to leadership within Appalachia, but just in general?
1: Yeah. So because these have been, this has been a sort of passion of mine. I've actually spoken the last two years at the Bright, um, the Bright Leadership Group. I've spoken with them about Appalachian identity and leadership. And also there's another one called Elevate uh, through Leadership Kentucky that I've spoken to them. And, you know, it's always started these really great conversations. So I go in kind of, that purpose alone, right? Not to teach anybody anything, but to get people to start to think about it and to talk about it and to, you know, kind of put the question in front of them, what does it mean to you to be Appalachian? And what does it mean to you to be an effective leader? And so it's always a really great conversation. But I think, you know, that one of the best benefits of programs like that is experience of exposure, right? Exposing people to the opportunities, exposing people to a network that really can get them to, you know, to understand the capacity but also the capabilities of, you know, the programs in their areas. And so I've had a really good experience. And I haven't been through one of those programs, but I've had some some working with with Bright and Elevate that I've really been impressed with. I know that's a different podcast, but I'd love to hear your experience with the Appalachian Leadership Institute. I hope that was a positive experience as well.
0: It it was an, an amazing experience for me. And I think part of that was because of the connections that I made, not necessarily the networking, but there was something about the cohort that I was in that was just different. We were all representing Appalachia, which was a little bit different than some of the other things that I've been involved with. When we're all passionate about the same thing, this same identity, It just hit a little bit different. So it was an amazing experience for me for that connection to others and to also see other parts of Appalachia. You know, like you said, there's no one Appalachia. We actually interview people outside the region as well. and We found that there are actually a lot more similarities and even in other regions and there are differences.
1: I love that. And so I'm currently part of um, it's a college or Council of Independent Colleges, Senior Leadership Institute, which is sort of similar, but it's for people who are um, in higher ed sort of preparing for that next step, which I guess I could credit for the creation of this project because it's what caused my existential reflection on, you know, what's next for me and and what am I passionate about? It just turns out that I'm more passionate about this than anything else. Um, When hearing you talk about that, you know, and thinking about in this program, you know, we're all definitely, you know, dedicated to higher education and we're all dedicated to learning how to be better leaders. But that personal aspect of an Appalachian focused leadership program, I feel like that would be just so impactful and so um intense, right? Because it's what you care about. It's where it's your home, it's your your place, and that's important.
0: You know, you talked about the purpose of leadership and leadership development and finding effective examples when it comes to leadership, especially in Appalachia. And I think your project, you expect it to go beyond just interviewing people and to actually having a book come out of it that could serve that same purpose to be a benefit to other people throughout the region but even in other regions like i mentioned when we go outside the region we find many more similarities you do you think your finished project of a book and uh, do you want to talk about that a little bit more and how it could not only help the appalachian region but other rural or urban regions uh, throughout the country
1: absolutely so really my hope my my big goal is that this resource can be something for anyone who wants to examine how their identity affects their leadership. So, you know, you can use examples from these interviews and from these discussions, you know, and they can be specific to the way people perceive their Appalachian identity. But I think it goes deeper than that. It's about how we perceive identity period, right? And how do we mine our experiences and our culture and our identity to really gain and, and develop those leadership skills. So so my hope is that it will serve as a resource for a broader audience, not just Appalachia, but also for anybody in Appalachia, too, that's not only in leadership, but maybe people who are not yet in leadership or who don't consider themselves a leader. Those, I think that as I've, you know, in all the work that I've done in leadership development, that's where... A lot of of you know, my attention seems to come back to is the people who say, you know, well, I don't know. I'm not sure I would consider myself a leader. I I feel like anytime we can see ourselves in a story, anytime we recognize ourselves in an example, that's when we can really start to understand our own capacity, right? And our own ability. And you know, I feel the same way about teaching in a classroom until. My students can see themselves in material I'm teaching. That material is not going to stick. They're not going to learn in that true deep learning way until they understand that they're at the center, that this is about life. And and so I feel the same way about this. I feel like, you know, if we can see ourselves in stories and we can see ourselves in leadership, maybe we're already doing these things and we just don't recognize it or we just don't articulate it and we don't understand, hey, Gosh, I am a leader, you know, and I and, and I'm an effective leader. Or, you know, I didn't realize that this experience that I had has taught me a disposition or a skill that could translate into effective leadership. And so I think that's the ultimate hope for the book is that, you know, it will be a source of that sort of um just a, a place where people can see themselves, a place where they can see. Other people, but also that that common thread of identity.
0: Obviously, Appalachian identity, you and I are probably a little biased. We, we see it as a positive when it comes to leadership, when, when it comes to development in general. But do you see any barriers to being from Appalachia when you're talking about developing leadership?
1: Hmm. Yeah, this is a tough one. Resources, right, can be a barrier. Opportunity can be a barrier you know there there have been times we know that stereotypes and negative images are a barrier there have been times that I've I've walked into a room and and probably had more experience and credentials than people in the room and as soon as I've opened my mouth (laughs) you know (laughs) you can see on their face um, you know that okay you know that kind of a little bit of a doubt maybe so I do believe that those are sort of outside forces that can be barriers yes I also see, though, that I think that we as Appalachians are really good at being resourceful, right? We're really good at finding a way to turn a situation into something that's, you know, that's going to work for us. Um, I often say that about myself. I say, well, you know, I've learned that I can I can make something out of anything, right? I can I can make a dinner out of a couple of things or I can make, you know, I can make something out of anything. And I think that 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 and that maybe that. Mindset helps kind of jump over some of those barriers, but I really believe that that one of the greatest barriers is internal, and that is probably created by those external factors. As a matter of fact, I would I would say that that's that it's created by those external factors. The feeling that we we do always have to prove or that we we have to defend because of those negative stereotypes or those negative images often it works in really interesting ways so with my research with students one of the outcomes that i found was really fascinating was that you know students often felt the effect of those stereotypes but they also felt the effect of some of the negative aspects of their communities so maybe bad situation at home or a bad situation in their community sometimes you know we talked about addiction and we talked about a lack of resources And what was really interesting is that in students who were really able to kind of harness that mindset, that resiliency and that mindset, those factors push their motivation to succeed higher because their motivation was, I'm going to prove it wrong. Now, right off the bat, that sounds great, right? That sounds like, oh, wonderful. It's going to motivate us to go out there and and prove everybody wrong. But in the long run, it turns out that, that that kind of motivation, that I need to prove things wrong and I need to I need to make people see that I'm not this or that. It it runs out. Right? That motivation really runs out because we start to internalize those negative things about ourselves. So again it goes back to how we perceive that identity, right? So then ultimately in the long run it becomes I think I can't do that because of where I'm from or who I am. Yeah. You've started out with, you know, other people telling me I can't do that because of who I am or where I'm from. And then it kind of goes through this, this process of, well, I'm going to prove them wrong, but then suddenly I've I've kind of internalized it. Yeah. So I, I think that's probably one of the biggest barriers to leadership or to success is just we have to find a way to to break those those perceptions, right? We have to find a way to to chip away at that as much as we can, to, to show people not other people. I don't need to prove to other people. I need to, to prove to me, right, yeah. that my, my identity is is good.
0: That's a really great answer. I think a lot of times I carry a chip uh, on my shoulder wherever I am just because I know the perceptions that, that are put placed on me because of the way I talk or because of where I'm from. So I, I don't know if it's internal, but I always have this chip Wherever I am, and through this podcast, we always wanted to leave this lasting impression with people, especially people in the region, to be proud of where you're from, anywhere like I've lived a lot of places, and wherever i roam i'm I'm first and foremost always appalachian, and i I, I want to represent that wherever I am and be proud of where I'm from. And we tried to leave a lasting impression on the show for our listeners to be proud, definitely be proud of, of where you're from. Considering you are lifelong resident born and raised Pike County, Kentucky pro or con to hillbilly days.
1: <laughs> the, well, I'm going to go get my final cut. <laughs> <Okay>? <laughs> like,
0: Um
1: But also, so I think about hillbilly days in a really strange way Um it's so much hyperbole, right? And there's so much just exaggerated silliness that happens there. But in in a way, it's almost like I don't I don't know how to say it politely, but it, it's almost like a you know, well, we'll show you, right? Like you're gonna say this about us. Well, we're just gonna live on it, and you know, we're gonna we're gonna have fun with it. You know, nobody here, nobody anywhere thinks that that's the reality of of how people are. I think it's almost like us taking that stereotype and. And saying, well, okay, we're gonna, you know, just make a big joke out of it and have fun. But on the other hand, it's also a really great benefit for the Shriners hospital, right? So again, I don't mind to go pay for my funnel cake so that when I have funnel cake and two, I'm, you know, contributing to the Shriners. Um But there really is underneath that whole image of it, there really is just some beautiful celebration of the culture that happens there. The music that happens throughout town during those three days, uh, the crafts and the art that happens. And, you know, I think that it's a great, great way to get people talking about it and a great way to get people to really think about that. Like, what does that mean? Why are we doing that? You know, why are we? out there celebrating and calling it hillbilly days, you know, it's a a owning of it, you know, only we can.
0: What is your, since you're a lifelong resident, favorite place in Appalachia?
1: I'm I'm partial to the break Center State Park because I live close there. Right. So it almost felt like it felt like I I grew up there and it was where I went when I skipped school in high school. And, you know, (laughs) it was just kind of like your backyard, right? That's, that's where we were. And so I'm really partial to that, that area. But gosh, there's so
0: much beauty. Do you have a favorite thing to do in Appalachia? Work. (laughs) (laughs) Nothing wrong with that.
1: No. So we are so very much, we can talk about stereotypes all day. And I am so very much from your stereotypical Eastern Kentucky family. I have a huge family. I have 17 aunts and uncles and everybody's a musician. So I'm getting my family together to play music is is my favorite thing to do not just because it's my favorite thing to do of Appalachia but it's just my favorite thing to do it's really a a little I play at it (laughs) I'm not nearly as talented as as my family members what do you
0: play the guitar Um,
1: guitar little you know I have a banjo but I'm not good at that so I'm learning but I love to sing so I'd always sing um My dad is a musician, my uncles, all musicians. And so, you know, just getting everybody together and we don't get to do it nearly as much anymore. But when we do, it's fantastic. I think in September, I had about 53 people at my house from the family and everybody was playing music. And, you know, we cooked dinner and played music and sang and danced. And it was just, that's my favorite, my favorite thing to do.
0: Last quick question. Cornbread or biscuits? (laughs) Cornbread. Quick answer, decisive. I like it. Yeah.
1: I won't go into depth on that one. That's just (laughs) an easy one. That's that's just an easy one. I want to share something with you, Will, if that's okay. Uh, Something that popped into my head as you were talking earlier. Um, I'm sure you've you've probably read the Briar sermon Mm -hmm. by Jim Wayne Miller. And there is an excerpt from the Briar sermon that, you know, I, I really, it was the guidance for me when I was working on my dissertation and, and kind of keep it here on my desktop because it's also the guidance for me for this project. Um, and it's the part that says, you've heard that prayer that goes, help us to see ourselves as others see us. Buddy, that's not a prayer we want to pray. I believe we ought to pray. Lord help us to see ourselves and know more. Or maybe help us to see ourselves, help us to be ourselves, help us to free ourselves from seeing ourselves as others see us. That's great. To me, it's all about about seeing ourselves and not worrying about the way other people
0: see us. To that point, I have two last questions for you. What's the first thing that comes to mind when I say the word Appalachian? Stories. Our podcast is really grounded on place and perspective. It's really important to Neil and I. It's important to our family. We've talked about place uh, in this episode previously. But to that point, we wanted to ask you just where do you call home? What makes it home for you? What makes it unique?
1: So home to me is, I mean, it's not just Pike County. It's Pond Creek. And again, I live on what I lovingly refer to as the Sloan family commune. So I live <laughs> on on a hill with where my grandmother used to live. My parents are across the way from me. I have my aunts close by. My family cemetery is my backyard. So my grandmother, you know, is is buried out back, and then my uncles as well. But it's to me, it's such. I have such a connection to that place. I have people ask me all the time why don't you move closer to work? You know, why Why do you live there? Especially, I get the question every winter when, you know, the roads down here are clearer and uh, the roads on Pond Creek are not. And, you know, so why don't you move closer to work? Why Why do you live there? And it's it's complicated. And, you know, when we talked about earlier, when we talked about the, the barriers, you know, I, I think about too the fact that sometimes we really straddle a line, right, all the time. And so here on campus, um, I work with wonderful people. This is not a statement about my my workplace, but at work there's still that remove, right? Oh, I live up a holler, thirty minutes away. You know that's sometimes people will say things like, "Why don't you move close to civilization?" Or you know, and that those things, so you don't really feel like you belong one hundred percent. And at home, everybody talks about you know how proud they are of you, right? You, you've done great things, you're so proud. But then sometimes they may say things like, oh, we have to watch the way we talk around Amanda Jo, right? She's a professor. You never feel 100% at home either place ever again, right? It's really hard to juggle that so that you learn how to feel at home with those values that have been instilled in you in the stories that you hold on to and the people that contribute to those. And so I think home is is really, you know, physically that's a that's a really important place to me, but home is more the the feeling that I have of those closest to me that don't put me in that position, right? That that don't make me kind of feel like I'm straddling that line all the time.
0: Well thought out answer. We want to Thank you again for being on the show. But first, we want to give you an opportunity. I think it's such a cool project, such a cool idea, the Appalachian Way. Do you want to tell our listeners what your website is, how they can contact you if they're interested or have the possibility of being interviewed?
1: Absolutely. So honestly, when I wanted to get the word out, like I said, I just I wanted to do more than a flyer, but I wasn't sure exactly what to do. So I just created a Google sites, right? That's just it's a Google site slash Appalachian way. And there is a form, a Google form on the website that people can fill out if they're interested in doing an interview, but also my email address, and I can put this in the chat for you as well. If you want to share it um, in text, it's just Amanda jo Sloan at gmail.com. So J-O-S-L-O-N-E, I always say the S-L-O-A-Ns are, are the rich ones. We're the <laughs> S-L-O-N-E's. So uh, at gmail.com. And I would love for anybody who is interested to, to reach out. I'm also reachable on on social media. I'm on Facebook and LinkedIn and, and people can get in touch with me anyway or find me on the, the UPAC website. It's not hard to, to get in touch with me, but I would love for anybody and and I'm really hoping that this reaches a, a group of diverse leaders across Appalachia because I really want as many voices as I possibly can get.
0: We'll post all that in the show notes so people can have direct links to your email address and right. to your website. But thanks again for taking the time. Like I said, it's an incredibly cool project and we appreciate what you're doing, not only through your work but through and through this project, but just in general in the region. So thanks again.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me here. And I will add one last thing is that I hope you will go and sign up for an interview.
0: Great interview with Dr. Sloan. We want to thank you again for her time for what she's doing in the region not only in regards to her work but also on the side with this passion project it's a really cool project like we talked about the Appalachian way the role of Appalachian identity and effective leadership as we end this episode I just wanted to also identify the app biz of the week for this week I know in the intro, we talked about the Nature Conservancy getting a grant to help reconnect and restore critical waterways throughout the Appalachian region. In concert with that, we wanted to pick a business that is really a social enterprise that not only thinks about the triple bottom line, but the quadruple bottom line in regards to the people, the planet, prosperity, and purpose. So the app biz of the week is True Pigments. And it comes out of Rural Action, which is a nonprofit in Southeast Ohio. True Pigments is a social enterprise out of that. But they create colors from a proprietary technology. They turn pollution from historic coal mining into vibrant pigments for use in paint and other products. The more paint that they produce, the more paint that they can sell, the cleaner the streams in that area Become. They actually focus on the Sunday Creek in Appalachia, Ohio. And since they've been doing this, it's really allowed life to return to that seven mile stream. Cool idea, really cool company. True Pigment started as a collaboration among Ohio University, the Ohio Department of Natural Resources, and the U.S. Office of Surf- Surface Mining and Rural Action. They hired local individuals to actually work within the company to develop their own skills and find future employment based on this work. So it's a win-win for everyone there. It's a really impactful social enterprise that's coming out of rural action. Not only is it impactful, but it also profitable from a monetary standpoint and develops employees that may not have a, otherwise have the opportunity. So we'll post True Pigments. It's truepigments.com in the show notes. You can shop from their sites in regards to the paint. But you also find out a lot more about why they started it, the effects that it's having in that area, and what they have planned for the future of True Pigments. So last but not least, I just want to thank Dr. Sloan again for taking the time. And I guess since we're near the end, we can end this one like we usually do. Till next time. Peace. I'm
1: up in the mountains again. I'm getting lighter, the air's getting thin. Now I'm facing down with a grin. I've been in the city too long, sidewalks and buildings and singing sad songs. Now I'm back up where I belong in the mountains.